When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to another edition of the Barcelona Podcast, bringing you the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. I'm Dan Hilton from the Barca blog team here in New York, and I'm joined across the pond, as always, by Frances Tomas, as seen on ESPN and BarcaBlog.com. You can follow our show with the show notes at tbpod.link backslash 37. That is, again, tbpod.link backslash 37. Frances, another win for the Blagrana. But what other topics are we talking about today? Well, today is a very special show. And we welcome Blessed Webu as one of our patrons, uh, joining John, Cristo, John, Magdi, Michael, Fernando, Juanito, and the rest of our patrons at tvpod.link forward slash Patreon. That is tvpod forward slash Patreon. We really appreciate our patron support because they help us fund the show, um, coming to you on a weekly basis, and in a way, two weekly basis, isn't it? Because we've got a show coming out on Monday and Thursday. It's certainly not cheap. And uh, it is something that we do from the bottom of our hearts and for the love of us and for the love of our audience. But it really is great. And we feel blessed that so many people are eager to donate as little as $3 per month in order to keep the show going. So our show today is brought to you by patrons. And um, if you do enjoy the show and you think it is worth uh, your time or a little tiny bit of your hard-earned cash, then we will really, really be pleased so for your contributions, and we thank you for that in advance. In episode 37 of the Barcelona podcast, we're going to break down the 0-1 win, which we had at Sporting Lisbon versus Sporting in the Champions League on Wednesday. 
Then we're going to have, this is very, very exciting, we're going to have our first ever interviewee joining us. We have secured a visit from Ewan Maktia, who, you know, has published several books, has been working for Marca in English and these 40 times for a number of years now. And we are thrilled, we are delighted, we are humbled to have him in the show. And he's going to come in in the middle section and we really can't wait to share that interview with you. And then we're going to finish with, let's face it, my favorite part of the show, which is answering and focusing on the different extended questions that we get from listeners on a weekly basis. So we've got a bonus listener questions round coming up at the end. And we've got a huge amount of questions. I think it's between 10 and 15 questions this week, which we really can't wait to answer. The Barcelona Podcast, episode 37, starts right here. Let's get right into the stats of the one nothing Champions League victory for Barcelona over Sporting CP in Lisbon on the road for the team from Catalonia. The one and only goal scored in the 49th minute in own goal by Sebastian Cortes that was, I guess you'd say, affected by Luis Suarez. That's why for about two minutes it was credited to the Uruguayan striker, but eventually it was switched to an own goal to go along with the six yellow cards for Sporting CP and the two yellow cards for Nelson Semedo and Alex Vidal, who did not much but just get the yellow in a rare substitute appearance of just about two or three minutes. Some of the advanced metrics from this game, 69% possession for Barcelona, obviously to 31% from Sporting CP. The team from Portugal, once again, an opponent outshooting Barcelona, 11-10 to 10 in that tally. But once again, the one that matters is shots on target, and Barcelona won 5-3 to three in that category. Offsides, 4-2, to two, where Barcelona was offsides four times in the match, which is somehow down from the last two matches when Luis Suarez has been getting back in the starting lineup and still struggling to find his form. Now, Frances, before I ask you who your five-star players of the game, you know, we just want to get all the negativity out of our system, as I'll briefly just say, I know and you and I had spoken about this just quite briefly, that Gerard PK didn't have the best game, even Rakitic didn't have the best game, and Luis Suarez absolutely didn't have the best game. And for me, there were stretches in this match, somewhere between the 60th and 80th minute, when I thought Ernesto Valverde should have been pulling his subs off the bench a little quicker. It seemed like with Rakitic and Iniesta in particular, he waited much too long. And I don't want to harp on Rakitic, where a guy that being that engine worked so hard in the first half and had so much work to do. You'd understand why he'd be gassed in the second half. And I think it's on the coaching staff and those on the sideline to understand when maybe not physical sharpness is lacking, but where his mental sharpness has just worn out over an entire hour of trying to break down a defense that for sporting CP was willing to foul Barcelona, was willing to play physical and try to come out on the counter. And so all that said, with those three players not really up for the five-star player awards, I'd love to hear who your five-star players of the game are. Okay, so let's do it. With one star, we're going to start with, in a way, my favorite player in the history of Barca, beyond Messi, Don Andres Iniesta. He left the mark of his quality, which is unlimited, it's unparalleled, throughout the whole game against the Sporting. I thought that he was one of the players that tried the hardest to make things happen. He was always eager to build the team forward and to build patiently and obviously waiting for an eventual opener that, 
you know, it, it happened in very limited times, but whenever there was an opening, he either created it himself with a bit of help from his friend Messi, or in a way he was patient enough to wait for it to open up in the future. I think that considering that Iniesta has started nine consecutive games, yeah, that, that is nine consecutive games at age 33, I think that is great that he still managed to perform at such a great level. And given his age, it really is remarkable. I really do hope that he gets some rest soon. But in the meantime, I think we just need to enjoy what he does on the pitch. He did not have an easy game whatsoever, but I think because of his eagerness, because of his determination to break Sporting's defence, uh, which, a little bit of an aside, how good was Mathieu, man? I really do think that Bartomeu is going to put up a 200 million offer for him in the next couple of days, because, let's face it, that's how our sporting directors and our board seems to operate. Aside finish now. Back to Iniesta. I really do hope that we continue to enjoy his magic for years to come, and um, hopefully he gets some rest soon so that we can have him for a longer period, excelling at this level. With two stars, we've got someone that you may have heard of before. It's a little Argentinian guy by the name of Lionel Andres Messi. Sure, he's a perennial star getter, and we mention him every single week, but you know, guys, let's face it, Messi is pretty much always going to be in the top five performers for Barca, regardless of who we play, where we play, and that's, that's him making an appearance again. I did think that, sure, he was well defended again. Um, he wasn't man-marked this time. Um, I, I'm pretty sure, and I think, I don't have concrete evidence of this, but I think that Maffeo has been sleeping in Messi's house for the last four days. And, you know, don't quote me on this. I'm not quite sure, but I think that there's several people have seen him there. Um, even in the showers and you know when he's cooking breakfast in the morning I think Maffeo is still there uh, playing around with his different crumpets and making toasted um, bits and pieces for him so yeah if you do see him around uh, please let him know that he needs to live in alone once and for all but let's see you know back, back to the sporting game so he was well marked by Bataglia um, he was regardless pretty much always able to leave him behind um, but you know it is difficult when you've got such a degree of attention on, on your every move. When he found spaces, he was quite effective. I thought that he combined pretty well with those around him. Um, Luis Suarez, you know, obviously didn't have a great game and um, that is becoming a little bit of a worry, to be honest. Of course, it is clear that he scored an incredibly beautiful game. I think the Puskas award is certainly going to be going Luis Suarez's way because of the fantastic goal that he scored with his knee and then rebounding on his nose somehow and then getting to someone else on the way to the net. Um, so yeah, it wasn't Suarez's goal, to be honest. It was um, that guy called Ongol. Ongol has scored three goals in the last two games and that also, rumor does have it, that Bartomeu is going to put another offer for him. So that's going to be Mathieu and Ongol uh, joining Barca in the January transfer window um, if Bartomeu is to be trusted. So, yeah, um, leaving Suarez to one side, and again, that is a little bit worrying, to say the least. I think Messi was, and in a way will always be, until he the dreaded minute in which he retires or he leaves us to go back to Argentina to fulfil his dream of excelling for Newell's old voice in front of his home crowd. But until that dreaded moment does come, 
he's still going to be Barca's main protagonist in the final third, regardless of who plays around him. So the two stars go for Messi. Of course, he didn't score, but he was, without a doubt, one of the most influential, if not the most influential attacking player that Barca had against Sporting. And without further ado, we're moving forward to our three-star getter. Our three stars from the Barcelona podcast go to Marc-André Stegen. Sure, he was not very busy, let's face it. He didn't have uh, one of those crazy nights in which he needs to be uh, constantly alert and, and playing on the ball and needs to be sort of diving to one side, punching some balls away. It wasn't one of those nights. But when the team needed him the most, he performed. He was there to help, he was there to support, and he did it to perfection. Particularly in the second half, he has a hugely vital save after a really, really close-range shot by Bruno Fernandez, And, you know, that was worth its weight on go- in gold. If Barca came away from Portugal with three points under their belt, that is definitely because of Ter Stegen's um, opportunism and his ability to remain focused at all times. I really do think that Ter Stegen, and I have said this before in the podcast, is one of our sort of least celebrated players, but his influence and, and what he adds to the team, it really is outstanding. You know, there's not really many more words to describe it. He saved Barca once again this season in Portugal, and it really was not the first time that we are, and hopefully not the first time that we will be, proud of our German young goalkeeper that hopefully will be at the Camino for years to come. So, Dan, we're halfway through our star countdown, if you want to call it that. And normally this is when you say something and, you you know, in a way you tend to disagree with me quite a bit lately, which I really don't enjoy, so don't do that again. Um, so, yeah, what do you think so far? And please don't disagree with me. Well, it's hard to argue with this one, Frances, where, as we had talked about, nobody really had an unbelievable performance and nobody really stood out amongst the rest. And Messi is the interesting one. You gave the two stars to, which I think might be his lowest result since we really started consistently doing the five-star players of the game. And for Messi, I thought it was a two-star performance where he did have an impact. He seemed to not have that finishing touch, but he combined well, as you had mentioned. And so I liked what Messi had. And it's tough because compared to what his teammates are capable of, a two-star game from Messi is still going to be some of his teammates' four-star games. So it's an interesting thing when we always do this, a thought experiment of how you stack him up against his teammates. But as far as the ones that aren't going to be mentioned, I have a gut feeling that Jordi Alba, who was in a one-on-one battle with, um, with Martins on the one side, on the left side of the field, the whole time going back and forth, and I thought Jordi Alba was really important to the way that Barcelona was attacking in the times when they were able to get out on the counter and break. I thought his passing was still good. He was aggressive defensively, closing down that space as Martins was just cutting in again and again and again. But I would agree that you could probably find five players who had just a bit better games than Jordi Alba, who at times defensively was exposed with some of the counterattacking speed on the left side of the field and particularly in the right back for sporting CP, just going up and down on Alba at times in that second half and having difficulty clear. But nevertheless, I also thought Sergio Roberto, a name that you probably won't mention in the final two, just deserves a little bit of a note where, again, he's asked to play in 
a position that he hasn't necessarily or a role he hasn't necessarily filled so far this season, and he does it pretty much with flying colors again. So I just thought those two should be at least mentioned. And I love that we finally got Mark andre Ter Stegen in here. He's been really good, as we've talked about, not allowing many goals this season at all. And in this game, he was pretty much picture perfect. He barely had a foot wrong. He just always seemed to be composed and in charge of his net. And the few shots that were allowed to get through, he was up to the task, no problems. And you never really did feel like Sporting CP were going to be able to get past Ter Stegen on the evening. And that's why I would say I absolutely think he deserved the start that he was given. Okay, so let's move forward. Let's just leave it there and let's move forward. With four stars, we've got Barca's undisputed best signing of the season so far, Nelsinho Semedo. So once again, he makes an appearance in our star chart. This week, he's a four-star getter. He was what well, he has been. He's been. He was brave against Sporting. He was, in a way, even more determined because let's not forget that Semedo was successful and, in a way, he excelled, and that's why he's with us now, playing for Benfica, who obviously are the local rivals for Sporting. And, you know, I've been to Lisbon several times uh, throughout my life. I've been lucky enough to visit that beautiful city. And when you walk around, you look around at the shops and, and you know, the different people, um, the children, people that play football in, in the different parks around the city, which are gorgeous. They normally wear Benfica. So wherever you look in, in the town, in the city, it's just red. You know, they, they've got the eagle in the Benfica badge all over the place. There's different bars, clubs, obviously the shopping centers are all full of Benfica merchandise. And to be honest, I think I've been to Lisbon probably five times throughout my lifetime. Um, I have very rarely seen anybody supporting sporting at all. So Nelsinho Semedo excelling in front of that crowd would have certainly given him lots of pleasure given his past. Going back to Semedo's game itself, he was outstanding. See, he won his battle with Acuna pretty much every single time in defense. He was never sort of worried that he was going to be beaten at any point by any of his rivals. He was always tracking back whenever needed. He was immense. He was great. Um, and because he was so sobrao, which is a term that we explained in the podcast before, and really describes the medal really well, which means I've got too much to give in a way, um, he was able to push forward and whenever the team needed him, that he was, I really did think that his combination with Sergio Roberto, who let's not forget, started as a winger and that was a very interesting development by uh, Valverde this time round. I thought that it was a very good combination and in a way they were not sort of trying to rule each other out because, you know, let's face it, they're competing for a starting spot in the best team in the universe. And, you know, there's no question about that, the universe bit particularly. So, yeah, I think that them playing together was certainly a great point. And uh, I would like to see that in, in future games moving forward. Um, a bit of an aside here as well. It is believed that, or it has been reported, that the Barca teammates of Semedo have given him a nickname, which is La Moto, which is the motorcycle. Uh, given his speed and reliability. So I'd say that for now, Nelsinho Lamoto Semedo is probably the way we should call our Portuguese international. And finally, with five stars, drum roll please. <laughs> no, 
that that sound effect was better than any other week and you know you have to agree with that because i am even surprised at myself with five stars this week we've got samuel umtiti he was a giant he was immense he was a defensive guarantee of everything there is good in football he was so strong he looked pacey whenever he needed to be he was so imposing throughout the whole game and you know he was in a way never really bothered too much let's let's face it sporting did push forward and they had some control at different parts of the game but umtiti always looked in control and never really stressed out he made several risky tackles let's face it but they were necessary and and the way that he challenged was quite clean and despite the fact that he's so muscly and so huge and strong he managed to avoid any severe tackles going wrong so i really do think that untiti has grown enormously over the last i would say three months um the 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 months that we've been playing in this season and the last couple of months in the previous one obviously now knowing that he's a regular starter and in a way not really competing with Mascherano for a starting place because he's clearly ahead right now has really helped his confidence and I am delighted that that is the case. He was also, in addition to his defensive capabilities, he was calm and composed when in possession. He was always reading the game to perfection and undoubtedly right now Umtiti is the most solvent, the most reliable and the most dependable centre-back that Barca has right now and I really can't wait to see what he can do in the future but let's just focus on the sporting game Untiti was a five-star getter and that was a fully deserved recognition that from the Barcelona podcast we want to extend his way again Francis hard to disagree Nelson Semedo was the one who was fouled to gain the free kick opportunity that Messi was able to put in for what turned out to be an own goal but Semedo, again, showed his speed, and that's the scary thing. And by scary, I mean scary for opponents, for those rooting for Barcelona. The scary thing about Nelson Semedo is that not only is he young and still learning the Barcelona system, but he knows how to use his speed. And there are guys in the world with his kind of speed that only rely on that one trait, and they are still top-caliber guys. And so for Semedo, his growth and potential, as you've mentioned in the past, particularly on the show on Monday— that you just salivate as his potential and his ceiling. And those comparisons with Danny Alves after matches like this are just going to continue, where when the team didn't have it, he was able to use his physical, natural abilities to get things done. And speaking of physical, natural abilities, I also agreed with your number one, or should we say the five-star player of the game, and Samuel Umtiti. It's a clean sheet. Barcelona's defense held again through the combination of Ter Stegen and Umtiti, in that PK, at times, positionally, didn't have his best game. Again, Alba was there for coverage, but it was mainly Umtiti who cut down those angles, who used his body and used his physicality and threw his body in the way to block shots at times. And even on set pieces, there was some fouling going on. But when Barcelona fall, find themselves in those truly physical games where it's not just a La Liga opponent with guys who don't play that many games, these are sporting CP players where a lot of the young ones have aspirations to play for bigger teams in the Premier League or Serie A or La Liga or the Bundesliga. And so 
for guys that are on that Sporting CP team, they're hungry and they have a little more technical quality than some of the Liga opponents. And so for Barcelona to be in that kind of fight and get a victory, nevertheless, that tells you how important Titi was in that match. And Frances, as you tease at the top, we've got an interview coming up, so I'm going to step out and then you're going to handle some listener questions at the end. So let's get to it and please enjoy. Right, so this section of the show is special. We haven't really had any interview guests before. Um, This is something that our fans, listeners and audience throughout the different social media platforms have been asking for for a little while. And I am honored to say that we actually have a guest coming to the show today. Um, We are joined today by the very special Ewan McTeer from Marca in English and These Footy Times. Ewan has been traditionally focused on La Liga throughout his writing career and he's an author who has published two books, the first one of which is Eibar the Great and his second one is a book which um, has been highly successful based on an around Atletico de Madrid in the early 2010s um, that is hijacking La Liga. Ewan, it is a pleasure to have you here with us today. And uh, you're our first ever guest in the Vasa podcast. I really do hope that you're honored by it. Yeah, of course. It's a big honor. Yeah, I'm happy to, happy to be on and talking to you. Right. I certainly am not a great expert in accents, having one very clear and obvious accent myself. But um, I do realize that you're certainly not Spanish. Um, you may have lived in Spain before. You may have some family connections with Spain before. And we really would like to know why you're so interested in such an expert in La Liga. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, please? Um, well, for me, it actually comes from Barcelona. I, I spent a year in Barcelona about five years ago now. It was um, it was throughout the whole of the, the 2012-13 season, that Villanova season. And and uh, yeah, just being in Barcelona and and sort of watching a new kind of football. You know, it's, La Liga was, was always on Sky in the UK, uh, where I grew up. And, and to be able to watch a game... You, you know, it was, it was quite difficult to find. And uh, yeah, to be in Spain and see a game, you know, almost every game on, on the TV and, and every single Barca game on in almost every single bar in the city was um, was really exciting for me. And I, I think I watched so many games that, that season and just, you know, um, I'm from Scotland, but in Scotland, even we watch mostly the, the Premier League and we have match of the day on a Saturday night. And I just thought, wow, this is so much better. You know, there's so much... Uh, there's so many more better players, so much more attacking football. Teams don't just sit and defend. It's not just all four four two, and I just thought this league is you know so much more exciting than the football that I had uh, grown up with. Okay, you mentioned something quite interesting there, Ewan. Um, you said that basically you lived in Barcelona, and you the, what really is puzzling me is that you're somehow now supporting Atletico Madrid, and I don't quite understand how that can work. Um, what do you think of Barcelona as a city? Oh, I mean, it's a great city. I mean, um, I'm living in Madrid now and I love Madrid too, but Barcelona really does tick all of the boxes. You know, you've got the beach, you've got the fantastic architecture, almost year-round sun. And then obviously you've got, you know, one of the biggest football teams in the world as well. So, yeah, Barcelona really does tick all of the boxes. Okay, so if you love Barcelona so much, and, you know, I can only agree with you because what am I going to say? I think it's the best city in the world because of all of the reasons that you announced and that you explained here. And obviously because of the fact that it holds the best ever team in the world in the history of football. Um, but yeah, you seem to be an Atletico de Madrid fan, and I'm just curious as to why. Um, yeah, well, I wouldn't say so much I'm a, I'm a fan of Atletico Madrid. Uh, I mean, I, I like a lot of what they've done, and 
you know, I'd, my, my team, if I had to pick a team in La Liga, it would be Aibar. Um, but I follow Atletico Madrid a lot and through the stuff I've done with Mark and English over the last last year or so, I followed all of their games last season, wrote all of their match reports. And, and yeah, over several years, you know, you, I've, I've got quite interested in Atletico Madrid. Probably, I mean, since I was in Barcelona in 2012-13, that was the season they they re-qualified for the Champions League for the first time in ages. And, and you know, Simeone, of course, was taking, was taking control. And this was really the start of an exciting era for Atletico Madrid. And that's just really interested me because the year I spent in Barcelona, La Liga was a two-team league. I mean, Real Madrid had just won a league by a hundred, uh, securing 100 points. And then Barcelona did the same the year I was there. And I thought, you know, no team is ever going to win La Liga other than these two big two. And then exactly one year later, another team did. And I, I just found that fascinating. Yeah, but personally, I can see I can see your point there. Obviously, I was I was born in Barcelona, so for me, there was only ever going to be one choice, which is supporting the team of my hometown. And you know, for better or worse, we seem to be winning quite often, quite a bit, um, which is great. But um, yeah, I think because you've moved to Madrid and you are having following Atletico, it makes perfect sense that you support them. Um, but I've realized that having looked at um, your achievements and your your work throughout the years. I do realize you've written a book based on a completely different topic. It's not Atletico Madrid, and it is a La Liga-based team, so there's a bit of similarity there. But um, it's, the book's called Ava the Great. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, I mean, that same year that Atletico won the 2013-14 La Liga, Ibar were winning promotion, winning the, the second division, which which is really a, just quite an unbelievable achievement because, I mean, Ibar is a team of 27,000 people. It's a tiny little town in the Bass Valleys. And, I mean, you could put all of Ibar in the Camp Nou three times and it still wouldn't be full. I mean, Ibar is really, really, really tiny. And for them to for them to be in La Liga is 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 just amazing. And, and so I thought, you know, this was, this was an incredible story. It deserved a book. And I thought, well, you know, no one else is writing this book, so so why don't I? So... So that's what I did. I went over there, I spent some time there, talked to people and tried to just tell the story of how did they do it. And, you know, they really, the reason they did it was with, you know, sensible financial management. They didn't overspend and they just sort of took their time and were patient and then managed to get into La Liga. And they're still there. I mean, you know, three coming into their fourth season now, they're still there. They haven't been relegated. And uh, yeah, I just think it's a really incredible achievement. And I met so many good people there when I was writing the book that... Um, yeah, I always go back when I can, and I was there last week for the game. They won against Leganes, and yeah, it's just a, an incredible little town, but little is the key word. I mean, it really is just tiny. It's uh, The football stadium is, you know, one of the centres. They have a town square, and other than that, there's not much more at all. It's really, really, um, you can't overstate how small a town this is. Just 27,000 people live there. That is truly fascinating, and in a way, it reminds me of my personal experience. Um I've got loads of friends in northern Spain. I've got friends in Gijón, Oviedo, Bilbao, and some more in San Sebastián as well. And, you know, I've been all over Spain traveling. I've got family all over. But I think the people in northern Spain, they are, they, they're, they're a special breed, you know. They are really friendly, but they're really funny in a completely different way than people from, say, Andalusia. And um, I do think that Eibar, being a tiny, minuscule area, in northern Spain, it's a fantastic story to tell. Now let's refocus a little bit on on Barca and obviously Atletico's chances this year. Um, who do you think Atletico is going to be facing in the run for La Liga this season? Who do you see as the most important rival? I think for Atletico Madrid, they're 
Um, at the start of the season, I think everybody thought their biggest rival was going to be Barcelona. I think um, after the Supercopa, there was there was a lot of talk of just everybody just assuming Real Madrid were going to win the league really easily. And there was some talk of, well, you know, Barcelona looks so bad that maybe Atletico Madrid can come second. But now that we're, you know, six, seven weeks into the season, all of a sudden Barcelona are top, they've won every game, Real Madrid have been struggling. And now, maybe if Atletico Madrid are going to finish season, maybe it's like you said at the start of the, the show, maybe it'll be because Barcelona have won the league and Atletico Madrid are second and Real Madrid are third. Um, so it's hard to know. I think maybe it's going to be very, very close when it comes down to it. I mean... Uh, we all know Barcelona have maybe had some some easier fixtures so far. They will have tougher games than they've had, and they'll drop points at some point this season. And Real Madrid, you know, you would expect they pick up their form a little bit. So, and Atletico Madrid, they just seem kind of consistent, just winning the games they should, dropping a couple of points here and there, but nothing too surprising. Away at Girona, I think Girona is going to be a difficult team for everyone. Away at Valencia, that's going to be difficult for everyone too. So, I think when it comes down to it, Atletico Madrid, they have a chance to finish above. Barcelona and Real Madrid and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they finished first, second or third. Um, if you had to ask me where they're going to finish, I honestly couldn't pick. Well, I really do hope that you're right. Uh, I think one of the criticisms of La Liga is that Barca and Madrid are dominating on a, on a yearly basis and uh, that a lot of teams that are behind, they haven't really closed the gap enough. So having La Liga be in a three-horse race again would be a fantastic opportunity for viewers and it definitely would attract a lot of attention from different media outlets and, and ultimately plenty of fans around the world. Yeah, and what, what's what's interesting as well is like the season that Atletico did win the Liga, it wasn't really a three-horse race because Real Madrid were so far behind. It really was just Barcelona and Atletico Madrid that year. So as much as you know, Atletico Madrid won the league that, that season, that 2013-14 season, We've not actually had a free a, a free horse race with all teams competitive in the one year for so long because that year Atletico did win La Liga. Uh, Real Madrid really weren't a contender. You know they dropped out of it. You know three or four uh, weeks before the end. Well, actually, yeah, that's a great point. I think because of Madrid's success in recent years, particularly last season, um, people tend to forget that until say the last couple of years when Zinedine Zidane has taken the reins at the Bernabeu Real Madrid weren't really that focused in La Liga and in a way they had to pick either one or the other competition so if they did well in the cup competition say the Champions League or La Copa then they wouldn't necessarily be focusing on La Liga so yeah that's a fantastic point now I've got a, a dreamy sort of hypothetical question here if money was not an issue and you could just walk in and attract players from Barca for Atletico, which three players would you pick and why? I think you may go for a little Argentinian player that I think was, let me think, I think it's number 10. Um, so yeah, which players would you take from Barca all the way to Atletico Madrid if money was not an issue? Yeah, you'd always have to take Messi. That's uh, that's a no-brainer, really. In terms of the other ones, it's yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think even given his age, you'd want to take uh, Andres Iniesta. I mean, uh, you know, he's he's just he's got something special about him, and he would fit into any midfield in the world, even at his age. And then in terms of the third one, I don't know. I suppose maybe um, it might be a surprising one, but maybe um, Nelson Semedo, because not so much because of of what he's done. He's obviously still a very young player, but. Right back is maybe one of Atletico's sort of weakest positions right now. Simi Versalchko hasn't really fitted in as it was maybe hoped. And then Juan Fran is, is really getting on in years. He had a really good game 
um, against Chelsea this week. He actually played really well, one of their best players. But so far this season, he's kind of struggled. And if you could slot in a player like Nelson Semedo there, who's who's had a very encouraging start to his Barcelona career, I think that would uh, that would make Atletico Madrid even stronger than than they already are. Okay. Yeah. No. Wow. That that's really interesting. Um, I really think that yeah, Messi. I think that was an obvious choice. Um, in terms of Iniesta, I, I, th- I think it's quite telling that even at 33 years old and considering that he's not really going to be able to play every single game in any season and uh, obviously in a hypothetical that he was playing for Diego Simeone and Atletico, uh, I think it's really telling that you would still take him regardless. That that's Wow, that's, I'm surprised by that. Uh, I think that we, we, it could be other players that you may have mentioned earlier, but... You know, very, very, very interesting. In terms of Nelson Semedo, yes, I think Barca hit jackpot with that signing. Um, our audience and listeners keep tweeting us and telling us all about how much they love Semedo. And yeah, judging by his performance in so far in La Liga and the Champions League when he's been selected, there is no question that he's going to be a very important player for us, not just this season, but hopefully in years to come, if he continues to be healthy and performing at that level. Now, obviously, we asked about your three favourite players, or the players that you would steal from Barca if you could. Um, So let's just turn that around. If you could hate on a player forever and ever, which one would it be? So in other words, which player is the one that when he wears the Blaugrana, your stomach sort of turns and you really can't stand that much. Uh, yeah, I think it, from an Atletico Madrid point of view, there's there's sort of a, a love-hate relationship with Messi. I mean, the number of times he's he's put Real Madrid to the sword and obviously Atletico Madrid fans love that. Uh, you know, it's, he does it time and time again. But then the team that Lionel Messi has scored the most goals against in all of his career is Atletico Madrid. I think it's uh, 23 goals now, maybe 24. Every time he plays them, he seems to score and that number goes up and up and up. So... Atletico Madrid are, are Messi's favourite victim, so I think as much as as most Atletico Madrid fans realise, you know, he's he's one of the best players ever, if not the best. I think he's the one that when they see his name on the team sheet, that's the one that makes that makes Atletico Madrid fans sort of uh, tremble a little bit in fear because yeah, he really does always seem to score against them. Oh wow, uh, I was not expecting that at all. Um, Messi, Messi is the best player ever in the world in the history of the sport. Um, I was not expecting that at all. Obviously, if he's terrorizing your team for so many consecutive seasons, then I understand there's a degree of disliking there. But, you know, from my perspective and from the way I see it, what's not to like about Messi? I don't think that's allowed to be said in the Barcelona podcast. I'm going to have to speak to Dan about this. And I think I think, I think a lot of Atletico Madrid fans, you know, they would never love Messi, but I think there is that sort of uh, appreciation uh, of what he does. But the fact that he's made Atletico Madrid his main victim more than anyone else. Um, yeah, maybe he's the one that they uh, they fear the most and obviously for that reason dislike the most. Okay, that, that is certainly interesting. Um, I would say that I never really stopped to think what the effect of Lionel Messi on fans of other teams actually is. But uh, I think it's quite interesting and really thank you for sharing that with us today. Um, I'll be a little bit more considerate towards our rival fans soon. So moving, um, moving forward, because I know that you've got to shoot soon, let's just say that the season ahead is an empty canvas, which at this moment in time it pretty much is, apart from the fact that Barca already have a considerable advantage up front. So let's just sort of look in specifically at Atletico and Diego Simeone's team. 
Where do you see Atletico finishing this season? So what are his chances? What are your expectations for the season ahead? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting season for Atletico because obviously they've signed Vitolo and Diego Costa, but they don't get to use them until January. So I think if they can just sort of stay in third place and within reach of Barcelona and Real Madrid by January time, if they're you know if they're within maybe five points of of uh, the traditional big two by January, then when they get Costa and when they get Vidolo, they could really have a a strong second half of the season and and really uh, you know push for a title. I think you know I mean um, Barcelona are maybe not the same team they were. This is maybe a bit of a transitional year with uh, with Valverde and then with Real Madrid, of course. Uh, you know they they've not got off to a good start at all. So. Yeah, maybe this is the year where Atletico Madrid could could mount another title challenge. It doesn't mean they're going to win it, um, but they could mount something. And then in the Champions League as well, as long as they get through this group stage, and they're in a very difficult group, we have to remember that. But if they can get through and then have Diego Costa and Vitolo arrive for the, the last 16 in the knockout stages, um, you don't know how far they could go. Well, that certainly is an interesting and very optimistic analysis. Um, I wasn't necessarily considering Atletico as a title challenger this season, but I can see where you're coming from. And, and I think the fact that you're getting Diego Costa back, um, obviously he may not be informed now, given the fact that he's been away from the pitch for so, so long. But obviously Simeone has been looking for a replacement for Diego Costa for the last two, three seasons, or basically from the very second he left. Um, he's gone through Torres, Jackson, Mandzukic, and a couple of others as well. And he never really was fully satisfied with the replacement that he got. So I think getting Diego Costa back is certainly good news. And um, I would say I wish you all the best for the future, but obviously I can't really do that because that would mean that Barca don't achieve their targets. So looking at, at the future, say that your predictions for Atletico Madrid challenging for titles don't, for whatever reason, come to fruition, um, then we're probably going to end up with Barca and Madrid fighting each other in order to reach the top of the table. So, say this is a two-hole race, who do you think takes it this year? Will it be Barca or will it be Madrid? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to call at this stage of the season because I think Valverde said it so well in his press conference last week. He said, you know, this time last month, Barcelona were in crisis, now Real Madrid are in crisis. And I'm sure by the end of the season, by May time, Barcelona will have had one or two more crises and so will Real Madrid. So, uh, yeah, it really does... uh, Change, but I mean the way Barcelona have started the season so well, and the way Real Madrid have dropped so many points already. I mean, I mean, there's no understating just how big a gap seven points is already. Um, I mean, Barcelona could lose both the Clásicos and still come out on top. And you know, they've even you know, uh, they've they've always been quite good in the actual individual Clásicos against Real Madrid in recent years. So yeah, I think Barcelona have as much as it's only six weeks in. I think they have too big an advantage to. Uh, to give up a whole seven points to Real Madrid unless something calamitous happens. Well, that that really filled me with loads of hope for the future. Um, I have been thinking throughout that obviously it's really early in the season to tell that Barca has a clear advantage and that that advantage will suffice in order to get to the finish line. But, you know, hearing it from you is, is quite encouraging and reassuring. And uh, I really, really do hope that you're right. And uh, Barca and ourselves, you know, everyone that listens to this to this podcast can go out into the streets of whatever country in the world they are. You know, I know that the program is um, consistently reaching over 150 different countries. So whatever in the world you are, uh, you should be celebrating. And hopefully that is something that um, we can do in months to come. 
So, Ivan, unfortunately, that's the end of your time. Uh, I mean, we could be talking here till tomorrow morning because we really appreciated having you here today. But um, I know you have to shoot. So you mentioned that you've got a couple of books out. Um, they are Eibar the Brave and Hijacking La Liga, with Hijacking La Liga being your the book you wrote recently about Atletico de Madrid's success in the early 2010s decade. So if our listeners wanted to get more of you, or they wanted to, in a way, go into Amazon or wherever link you've got in order to buy the book, where can our audience find you? So what are your details? Where can we learn more about you and follow your progress in your career? Yeah, I mean, like like everything, Twitter is is the best place. So so people can find me on Twitter at, at emcteer, E-M-C-T-E-A-R. So all my stuff is, is put out there. I mean, um, you'll find what I write on Mark in English, on these 50 times and... Um, yeah, obviously we've spoken quite a bit about Atletico Madrid, and and I've just uh, written a book about them, and mostly about how they how they won that league title in 2013-14, and so that's called hijacking La Liga, and how Atletico Madrid broke the duopoly of Real Madrid and Barcelona, and yeah, if you type that into Google, if you type my name in, it'll come up as well, and and yeah, I think um, obviously Atletico Madrid fans will find that interesting, but I think I think some Barcelona and Real Madrid fans as well because. Um, it was such a big shock to so many people that I think it'll be interesting to sort of work out how did this team come from uh, from almost out of nowhere to, to actually win the, the La Liga title. Okay, so I'll tell you what I'll do then. Um, when we finish editing the episode, I will make sure that if our listeners go to our show description, they just need to tap on the show description in whatever app they're using to listen to this podcast, then they can see the, the links to, I think it's a couple of Amazon links to both your books. And also we'll have all your social media details in there. We've got your personal website as well. So if you are listening to this podcast and you want to get in touch with Ewan or simply stay in touch with the different updates that he continually provides via Marca in English and these footy times, then all you need to do is go to our show notes, which are easily accessible at the top of a button uh, in your iPad app, or you can also head over to tvpod.link forward slash 37. That is tvpod.link forward slash 37 to learn more about Ian and keep in touch with his progress. So um, I hope that wasn't too bad. Uh, that was the very first interview at the Barcelona podcast and you will forever and ever remain in our hearts and you will always be the first. They say there's always, <laughs> they say there's always a first time for everything. So um, thank you, Ian, for your time and all success in the future. For sure. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Fran. So I really do hope that you enjoyed that interview. Um, once again, thank you to Ian for his time and um, being our first ever interviewee. Listeners, if you do have a second, we really would like to know what you thought of the interview. Um, this is obviously, every feedback is valuable for us. Uh, so can you please, if you could please, 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 please go into our social media and give us even a couple of lines as to what you thought of the interview, whether you thought um, this is something that you want to see more of. Uh, obviously, I personally have to say I really enjoyed talking to you and but uh, I really would like to know what you guys thought of, of it. Um, and if you want more of the same, uh, maybe suggest some people who are influential in social media or someone you admire in, in you know, media, Barca related and even beyond, to be honest, um, because this is something that if you like, we can do hopefully again. Um, it's quite unlikely we're going to get Leo Messi on the podcast simply because 
you know, he doesn't really speak that much English, does he? But um, there are other people that we could contact. And uh, as we become more influential with your help by you liking and retweeting and, and commenting on, on what we post in social media, then hopefully there is a way we can convince um, future guests to come on the show so that we can add more value to your day. So please let us know what you thought of the interview um, so that we can move forward. Now, moving swiftly on, my favorite ever part of the show. Actually, ever doesn't work in there either. Um, my favorite part of the show, is that better? Um, it's coming up. It is the bonus listener question round. So without further ado, let's get started. First question comes from Saito. And Saito said, pretty scrappy game against Sporting, wasn't it? Should underperforming Suarez be dropped for the game versus Las Palmas to give the Rufeo and Dennis a go? Right, this is a question that has popped up several times. Jose Aguirre pretty much also asked, asked the same question. He said, do you think Valverde played a 4-5-1 to try and get Suarez some more goals to be his confidence? Then we had Jose Morataya who asked, do you think Luis Suarez is going through a slump because he's lost his step? Valverde system or do you think he's just not fit and he tagged our friends at Peña Barça LA in his in his tweet which is great um, then Lucia who we obviously appreciate her following us throughout the years not just in the last couple of months so thank you Lucia for being there it has not gone unnoticed she asked what is wrong with Suarez not trying to be cheeky I really am worried what should Barça do to help him out of this rut and then Matthew Ask, what do we do if Luis Suarez keeps up his poor run of form? How long do you think we, we as a team can keep winning despite his struggles? Obviously, this seems to be something that our audience is very worried about. So I'm going to try and address it in the best way I can. Um, Luis Suarez is, to this day, one of the best strikers in the world. He has been a fantastic addition to Barca over the last three years. And that's what we need to keep. He's a player that is proven, is experienced, he adds bite. And that's not meant to be a joke. He actually adds bite to our attack. And in a way, he's just going through a bad patch now. We can say, you know, he's fat. We can say, oh, he runs in a weird way. We can say, oh, he's lost his passion. But in a way, none of those, in my eyes, can be considered in a way, lone reasons for his underperformance. I think if I had to pinpoint one element, it would be the fact that his position has changed. You know, since Valverde came to the team, he has moved Luis Suarez away from his ideal preferred position in the center of the attack. That has been obviously to accommodate Messi. And the numbers are there and everyone can crystal clearly see them. Messi is excelling and in the absence of Neymar and in the sort of slump of form that Suarez is going through, he's carrying the team forward. So in, in that respect, you cannot really argue with the manager's decision because the team is winning and Messi's excellent has been boosted as a result. Obviously, Luis Suarez is a player that should be and has to be comfortable because let's face it, he's one of the best players we've got in the squad. So I think Valverde needs to rethink again as to how he does it. Maybe he needs to provide him with different rotation situations with Messi. Maybe he needs to work out what his position needs to change. Uh, maybe Messi 
can be as influential if rather than having Suarez away from the center, Suarez went back to the center and Messi started a little bit more from the sides. So rather than having Messi as the one that is the focal point in the center, having them interchange his positions in a much more um, active, in a much more continuous way. But it is obvious that Luis Suarez is not comfortable where he is. And um, coming back to one of the questions, I don't think he's at risk of losing his place, but undoubtedly he needs to be working and the coach needs to be working and his teammates need to be working um, a solution in order to get him back into his com comfortable, effective and deadly self in front of goal. On the same lines, Cristo asked us, do you guys feel good after beating Sporting or are the lack of goals a concern? He also asked, may bite us at some point. Um, yeah, I, f I feel good after every win. You know, um, Barca are a team that has a, have a huge budget and uh, the weight of responsibility on the player's shoulders is never going to decrease. And you can see that um, if you go into any social media at any point, there are so many people commenting of every single step, every play that every player makes is commented throughout the world becoming um, a trend on social media, particularly Twitter, um, if anything goes particularly bad. So it is clear that there's a lot of pressure. And every game is a challenge. Every team should be respected and can be a dangerous opponent. And yeah, let's face it, Barca can lose against any team. And every single time Messi puts his shirt on, he's at risk of losing a little bit of reputation. So winning any game in any way is always a positive. However, it is clear that the performance against Sporting overall was not extraordinary and it was far from what we expect from our team. Um, to be totally honest, it was one of the dullest, most boring performances I have seen in recent times. And there could be a result of many things. Maybe the players are getting tired because, you know, the, the same players seem to be picked in the sort of spine of the team on a regular basis. There is some rotation going on, but it seems to be that the same players seem to be rotating most of the time. So it is unclear as to what the reasons are. Maybe they just weren't motivated enough to go into Portugal, into a team that, let's face it, not many people beyond Portugal have heard of before. And, you know, that, that is a reality. People in Lisbon, you normally refer back to Benfica. So there may be many factors in there, but in a way, I think the best thing to do is keep an eye on how the team develops and hope that Valverde continues to build his team because don't forget it, the team is still under construction. So we need to give them patience. And in a way, the team could have been losing games during this construction period and we would be in a very difficult situation. So we've got a perfect record in Europe, a perfect record in La Liga, and the team is nowhere near finished or nowhere near as good as it should be. So let's keep an eye on it and continue to be positive moving forward, but remembering that there is plenty to be done. Our friends at Peña Blaugrana LA ask us, why doesn't Valverde use the 4-2-3-1 formation, replacing Rakitic with Paulinho and Delufe on the left? Um, uh, thank you for the question. And as we said in the previous podcast, it is great to have a Barca Peña, a Barca fan club, members club, commenting on the podcast. It really does mean a lot uh, that so many people around the world are involved. So thank you for that. Um, I think that Valverde has to use the 4-2-3 formation and he has, in a way, 
place Rakitic and Paulinho and obviously Busquets in the centre of the park before. So, um, in my eyes, all of the alternatives addressing the question, I think Valverde has tried. Uh, what I do agree with is the fact that he hasn't really found his idea of formation yet. And as I just mentioned, he is on the way to get his idea lined up and formation sorted out. But it really feels to me as if that's going to take some time, maybe two, three, four months even. And at the moment he's experimenting and hopefully he can get to a agreeable, positive solution in the very near future. But that may not be the case. Well, unfortunately, Frances, it looks like that's all the time that we're going to have for today. We want to thank our listeners who submitted their questions. And we do have a little bit of a backlog right now. And so we had our interview. We hope you enjoyed it. And we look forward to getting to more and more of the listener questions. As we said, we have a ton of them to go and we will get to them. And please keep asking and we'll get to yours. That's a guarantee from us. And Frances, anything else? Sure, Dan. I just want to say thank you to Blessed Webble and the rest of our Patreons for supporting our creation today. And we are delighted to have brought this show to you. If you think that we added some value to your day, I know lots of you listen to us in the car. Uh, some of you listen to us while you're doing your sports, going to the gym, etc. So wherever you listen to this podcast, um, please consider supporting us. We will be honored if you did. If you go to tvpod.link forward slash Patreon, that is tvpod.link forward slash Patreon, um, that would mean the world to us. If you don't, no trouble. We'll be here again on Monday. Thank you for your support and hopefully chat again soon. It was a long one today, but we thank you for listening and holding on with us along the ride and for listening to our very first interview on the Barcelona podcast. Exciting times on this show and plenty of more exciting times ahead if you continue giving us those listener questions. So from Frances and myself, thanks again for listening to the Barcelona podcast, bringing you the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca. Forza. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.